so we're going to wrap up our series. We've been in 2 Corinthians for, I think, since February. So we're going to wrap up 2 Corinthians. So let me read the passage and... Um, And we shall get started. So 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read the entire chapter. This is the word of the Lord. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may, do, you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm, I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and, the, and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let me pray for us. God, we thank you just for your word. And, you know, we thank you, God, that you brought us uh, through this letter and all the things that you have taught us about uh, weakness and as we conclude this letter I, I do pray God that you would help us to examine our own hearts and uh, I hope in some way that uh, by your Holy Spirit this word is something that was powerful enough to to form us and to change us uh, to resist um, I guess the values that uh, oftentimes are, are preached to us in New York City um, but that we might live by the values according to the gospel in Jesus name we pray amen all right, as I said, this is going to be the last sermon on 2 Corinthians. I'm kind of happy when uh, we end a series on a, on a long book. And, you know, the end of letters are, <laughs> are the hardest to preach on because it's like this hodgepodge of things that, you know, Paul said. I remember when we went through the book of Hebrews, like Hebrews was the same thing. It's just kind of like these one-liners and trying to, like, find, like, a coherent theme that, like, wraps up um, the, the chapter nicely is, is a little bit of a challenge. So here's what I'm going to do today. Um, I'm going to keep it pretty short, and I guess I'm going to just focus largely on like maybe one or two things, but I want to give us an opportunity after the sermon to um, actually apply what Paul is saying here, namely when he says to examine yourselves. Because you think about it, you know, these letters are initially, uh, they're not read like the way that we read them, but when they were initially delivered, uh, they were delivered, you know, somebody would read it, the entire letter in front of like all these people. And I guess I'm kind of imagining like the original recipients of this letter, you know, after Paul has like kind of confronted them about like his, the legitimacy of his apostolic ministry, um, like how, well, how would they respond to it, right? The conclusion of the letter, Paul gives that like last word of benediction 
And then is it, is it kind of like everybody just stands up and like, okay, see you, all right, see you next Sunday? Or do they kind of like have to process like some of the things that Paul has said to them? And do they actually practice some of the things that Paul has just said here? And I don't know for sure, but my guess is there's, there's probably some like processing going on and some practice of what Paul is exhorting them to do. So uh, I want to try doing that today, uh, which is not something I ever do, but uh, for today I want to try that. Uh, but also, like, how do you conclude a letter in which th- it's been pretty confrontational, where he's been c- confronting uh, this congregation because they've been challenging his apostolic ministry? And what is the best way to convey, even though I've been somewhat confrontational and I'm confronting you about certain errors uh, that you have, how do I convey to you that uh, this is coming from a place of love? that I actually love you, I actually care for you, that no, this is not about me, this is not about my reputation and my name, this is not about my desires, this is not about my expectations for you, but this entire time I've been thinking about ultimately what is good for you. And I think the way Paul does it here, we could say is the first thing he does is he reminds them about the dynamics of the gospel. The second thing he does is he exhorts them to examine themselves. And the third thing he does is he ends up praying for them. Okay, so that'll be our, our little outline for today. The first thing Paul does is he reminds them of the dynamics of the gospel. And, you know, you see it in verse 4. And basically, he reminds them of the dynamics of the gospel because uh, the theme has been about weakness and power. And so he says in verse 4, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And if you have been through us throughout the series of 2 Corinthians, you know that this is a letter that says something radically different about our relationship to both weakness and to power. Whereas the natural inclination in all of us is to hide our weakness, Paul says that for a Christian, a Christian should be somebody who boasts in our weakness. Well, why? Because it is through weakness that Christ reveals his power through us. Charles Spurgeon, he was a very famous 19th century preacher, probably like the first celebrity preacher uh, back in the day. And people would ask him, you know, what's the secret of your success? Like, why, why do so many people uh, follow you and want to hear your preaching? And his response was this. He said, I have no secret but this, that I have preached the gospel. Not about the gospel, but the gospel. And I read that quote, and I was like, what, what's the distinction he's making here? in terms of preaching about the gospel versus preaching the gospel. Uh, What does he mean by that? Maybe it's a difference between telling someone about somebody, I don't know, historically great, let's say like George, has George Washington like been involved in like scandal or anything like that? I don't know. Let's use George Washington. (laughs) Uh, It's the difference between saying something about George Washington and like, oh, what, what good thing George Washington did versus something great that someone you know did, maybe a friend or a parent or something like that. Uh, George Washington didn't really have a direct impact on us, although maybe he had an indirect impact on us because we all live in the United States. And so I guess the personal impact of what George Washington did, like, it was like oh, let me tell you about George Washington. It's more of like a, a teaching, like, let me tell you about this guy. On the other hand, if, if it was more personal to you, if one of your friends helped you get through a difficult season in life and maybe it was like, I don't know, some kind of relational difficulties or some kind of physical illness or something hard that you went through in life and their presence and support really helped you get through it, the way you talk about your friend is going to be a little bit different than how you talk about 
somebody like George Washington. And I suppose that's the difference that Charles Spurgeon is trying to make between preaching about Christ versus preaching Christ, preaching about the gospel versus preaching the gospel. There should always be a sense that the work of Christ on the cross is something that not only indirectly impacts us, but something that is really meaningful and powerful and personal to us. And I think that happens by way of weakness. So Charles Spurgeon then tells a story about preaching and he tells about an old minister who heard a sermon uh, given by a young man. And the young man is preaching the sermon. He sees this uh, old minister listening, and he does something bold. He goes to the old minister, and he says, you know, what did you think about my sermon? And the old minister said, well, if I don't really want to tell you, but if I must tell you, I did not like it at all. <laughs> and then he says, there was no Christ in your sermon. And then the young man says, well, it's because I didn't see Christ in the text. Maybe it was like an Old Testament text, right? He said, I didn't see Christ in the text. And the old minister says, but do you not know that from every little town and village and tiny hamlet in England, there is a road leading to London. There is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track until I get to him. And I know here, again, Charles Spurgeon is talking about preaching, but if I was going to tweak his illustration a little bit, I would also say that uh, every weakness that we have, it is a potential road leading back to Christ. Every insecurity, every anxiety, every struggle with sin, every issue with anger, every uh, struggle with lust, any kind of like bitterness that we just can't get over, any kind of physical ailment, any kind of mental ailment, any kind of family dysfunction, all of these things that, um, you know, we probably want to like hide from people, these are all potential roads that lead to Christ. And that's why for the Christian, weakness is not something that is uh, that we are to hide, but what Paul says, it's something that we not only embrace, but even boast about, because it is a road that has a potential to reveal the very power of Christ. Now, I'm not going to make you do this. Today, we're small enough where I, I guess I could do this, but <laughs> I'm not going to make you do this. I do wonder what it would be like if, uh, you know, we just kind of went around the room and literally did what Paul says we should do, and we like boasted about our weakness. What if we went around the room and said, like, this is what I'm, I'm weak in. This is what I struggle in, right? These are my deepest sin issues that I don't want anybody to know about. If we went around the room and did that, here's what I imagine what would happen. I think it would be incredibly difficult because it would make us feel extremely vulnerable. And the last thing we want to do is like feel the judgment of other people. Um, that's one of the reasons why boasting in our weakness is such a struggle. Um, you know, I was, I was actually talking to somebody a uh, mutual friend that we know, but kind of like uh, she was sharing how she she goes to like this group and uh, like people are just very open about their struggle with sin, things that you don't normally hear people like talk about in church. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, do you think it's because it's not part of like people's church that people are so open to like <laughs> share about their weakness? Uh, I do think there is something about kind of being a church community in a weird way where we should be the most vulnerable with one another I guess because, like, there's a consistency. We all, like, see each other every week. There are just, like, certain things we don't want people to know about us, right? We just kind of want to hide it a little bit. And I get that, too, because I'm like that, too. But here's the thing. I, I wonder what would happen if, by, by, you know, by way of the Holy Spirit, we all felt this deep conviction that, yeah, we should be open and vulnerable before one another. We should be able to boast about our weakness and our struggles with sin. Uh, what if everybody did that and we share that with one another, 
you know what I think what might happen? Well, yeah, one thing that could happen is like everybody just kind of feels bad and like ashamed, right? <laughs> That's a possibility. But you know what could also happen? Like we, we feel this deep sense of the presence of God in our lives. We sense like, oh, you know, we're all in the same boat and we all need the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I wonder if there becomes like this great revival of uh, spiritual uh, liveliness within us. And it, it's like a strange dynamic, a strange paradox to think about. But did you know uh, before many great seasons of revival, they are usually preceded by great seasons of deep repentance? And of course, that doesn't surprise me because during seasons of genuine repentance, that's when we gain eyes to see the reality of our weakness, which turns out to be a door that opens and leads us to experiencing the wonderful presence of God and the power of Christ dying upon a, the cross for us. And that's the dynamic that Paul has been laying out and lays out in verse 4 when he reminds them how Jesus was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God. He was raised, resurrected by the power of God. Now, perhaps that's why Paul exhorts them to examine themselves in verse 5, and this is our, our second point. You know, there's all kinds of self-tests that uh, are all around us to make sure things are functioning the way that they're supposed to function. So I think before, I'm not a pilot. I, I'm guessing they do this. I hope they do this. But before an airplane takes off, I'm sure there's all kinds of like self-tests that the pilot performs to make sure that the plane is functioning properly. Uh, because of COVID, we are now used to administering these self-tests and sticking up these cotton swabs in our nose right, to make sure we're healthy. Well, similarly, Paul exhorting the Corinthians and us to do the same thing with respect to our faith. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And Paul has been the one who is constantly being examined by the Corinthians, and he's kind of saying, look, stop examining me. Stop judging the authenticity of my apostolic ministry. But now, turn to your own hearts and see what's in your own hearts, right? Examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Uh, when you are always in a position where you're examining others, you're critiquing others, you're judging others, there is a tendency to lack self-examination. Uh, think about the last argument or the last fight that you had, and it went like this, hey, you offended me, and the other person says, yeah, but you offended me first. Well, I only offended you because you said this to me, uh, but you misinterpreted what I said. No, I interpret you correctly. You said it wrong. And you kind of go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now, what is that? Well, you're just examining the other person, right? And that leads to like this kind of cold war because most of the time, both parties have reason for self-examination, but both people usually don't do it or don't do it first. But when you take a moment to slow down a little bit and examine yourself, you give yourself space to see these areas of dysfun dysfunction within yourself, and without self-examination, uh, what ends up happening is like we let these dysfunctional parts of us become the norm and they begin to form us and shape us into dysfunctional people. Uh, there's this theologian named Tom Wright and I heard him once say that the life of faith is a little bit like you're standing in a river, right? And so the, the water is kind of going down because of the gravitational pull and uh, our default mode is basically to be pushed by the water and to be moved in that direction. And if we're not examining ourselves, then the gravity of this world 
is going to move us away from the things of God. So if the water is flowing and if, like, let's say God is in that direction, unless we're, like, being actively trying to, like, right, go towards, um, go towards the Lord, our, our default mode is just to kind of, like, stand still and be, like, apathetic. Well, that water is going to push us away further and further away from God. And so we, we do need an active faith in that sense. Now, uh, with respect to examining ourselves, uh, I, I'm part of a, a group, an accountability group with like two other pastors. And it's a nice space for us to really regularly examine how we're doing spiritually. And we use like this framework. It's like very formal. So there's like these set of questions and they're called the questions of examine. <laughs> I think it's like these Latin phrases. Um, the, the actual framework is called renovare, which means renewal. And the questions that we ask one another every time we meet up for accountability, is basically like, you know, where have we seen God at work in our lives? What temptations have we faced? Um, have we responded to opportunities to serve others? Uh, have we shared our faith? Have we refrained, right? The Sabbath question is also one of those. Have we refrained from work? And have we taken a day uh, of rest. And I have to admit, you know, the structured style is not something that I'm used to, but in the long term, it did regularly force me to examine myself. And it's not meant to be like this checklist of making sure that you're doing all the right things, but really it's meant to be a guide for reflection in terms of, look, are you walking with the Lord or are you being moved away from him? And after using it for a few years, I can see that it's been very helpful even in my own spiritual formation. And the questions end up leading you to examine your own faith and your own sense of trust in God. And then depending on the kind of season you're in, uh, you see God's grace at work in your life or you see, oh man, I really need God's grace in my life. I'm not doing well spiritually. I really need God um, to show me his favor. And whether you use something formal like that or not, there should be seasons where we examine ourselves because without self-examination, it's very easy to become like the Corinthians here, the moving waters of the values of their culture, which I would say is very similar to like New York culture. It has moved them further and further away from the values of the gospel. They have boasted in their strength. They have boasted in their wealth. They have boasted in their achievements, in their accomplishments, in their uh, influence, in their status. Whereas in the gospel, Paul says, it's foolish to boast in those things, but boast in your weakness because through your weakness, the power of God is revealed. Now, by the way, this isn't the first time where Paul has told the Corinthians to examine themselves. He also said it uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 where he talks about how they ought to partake in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And he says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's actually why we, um, before we have the Lord's Supper, um, it's because of like these verses. That's why we have a time where we reflect and examine our own hearts. Now, they were not celebrating the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner because back then, what they would do is uh, they would bring their own bread and wine from home. They would gather in tables. And so when you're bringing your own bread and wine from home, what happens? Well, the wealthy, they have a lot of it. And the poor, they don't have enough of it. And so the wealthy, they would come, bring bread and wine, and they would end up getting drunk on this wine. Meanwhile, you had those who were poor and they would have very little and they actually ended up going hungry. And the rich, they despised the poor and they sat at a separate table than the poor. And this is something that is obviously antithetical towards um, Christian values and what the gospel is meant to do. 
and something that was wrong. And so Paul tells them, examine yourself before partaking in the body and blood of Christ. And so even for us, once a month we partake in the Lord's Supper. It is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. Now here, they need to continue to examine themselves because they've rejected Paul's ministry, which is tantamount to a rejection of the gospel. Now it's not like if like you reject like me or if you reject the pastor, it's like, oh, I'm rejecting the gospel. Paul is a special person. He's an apostle. <laughs> his apostolic ministry, his apostolic witness is uh, tantamount to uh, right, basically the gospel ministry. That's what he's preaching. If Christ is in them, then there is going to be something in them that's going to resonate with what Paul is, has been saying because he has been basically drawing out the implications of this gospel message. And more specifically, if they reject Paul because they say, oh, he's too weak, He's not a great spiritual leader. He's not a great rhetorical speaker. It means they have failed the test because they have failed to embrace the very weakness that leads to the power of God. They have failed to embrace the very weakness that the gospel um, shows us, tells us about. I sometimes wonder, what if the Apostle Paul were alive today in midtown Manhattan? How many New York believers would look at Paul and reject him because he's like, oh man, this guy's weak. He's small. He's frail. Uh, he's a tent maker. He makes tents. Uh, he's not like a, I don't know, like he's not in like some corporate something. He's not in the tech industry. <laughs> uh, whoever the movers and shakers are in this city. Maybe we say, ah, he's not, a, he's not even a good speaker. I know so many other better speakers than him. Right? How many of us would look at somebody like the Apostle Paul and say, nah, right, he's nobody because of these things. And I could see that happening, actually. And instead of going with the flow, we need regular self-examination to make sure we're actually being formed, not by the values of this culture around us, but we're actually being formed by the cross of Jesus Christ and his gospel message. Finally, Last point, Paul ends up praying for them. In verse 7, he says, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. And then in verse 9, your restoration is what we pray for. And you see, that's, that's actually the reason for Paul's exhortation for self-examination. He ultimately wants their restoration. Uh, but I think it's significant that Paul's praying for them because it does show how much he loves them. Even though they were uh, uh, adversarial and even though the Corinthians questioned his ministry and his legitimacy, and they insulted him. Paul continues to pray for them. His correction, therefore, is not punitive. He, in other words, he's not set out to punish them here, but it's meant to be restorative. He wants to restore their faith. He wants them to be in right relationship with God. There is a quote that I have referenced several times throughout the series because it is a great insight about power, and I want to conclude with this quote as well, but Henry Nouwen, he's this Catholic guy, um, <clears throat> he says, one of the reasons power is so tempting is because it offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. That's why people want power, because then, therefore, you don't have to love people, you just control people, <laughs> right? Therefore, you just tell people what to do. Uh, this quote has been in my mind throughout this entire letter, because Paul could have used his apostolic authority in a way that probably would have made life easier for him. Uh, he could have been domineering, and he could have told some of the Corinthians who have gone astray to be expelled from the community uh, for the ways that they were undermining his apostolic ministry and the gospel. 
But Paul doesn't want that to happen because he loves them. Right? He doesn't choose the way of power, but he chooses the way of love and you know, using his power to restore them, to love them. By the way, I read this book. Um, there's this like, famous book that like, business people like called uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, I think is his name. And <coughs> he wrote this like, little companion booklet on, uh, I guess, what makes great organizations that are not in the business sector. So he's looking at social sectors. And he's like, you know, businesses are run very differently than like social sectors. Like, s <coughs> you know, churches would be one of them, but nonprofits, schools, uh, those kind of things, right? And he says, uh, like, basically, there's legislative power, there's executive power, and legislative power. And executive power, like in the business world, you have like a CEO and you have the decision makers, and they just make a decision and people just have to do it. But then in like social sectors, um, you know, not one person usually has power and it's therefore it's legislative and therefore it actually, you have to uh, care about people, you have to love people, you have to be able to persuade people, you have to bring people along with you, right? That's, that's the difference. And I thought that was like a, a good distinction to make. And Paul, obviously, I don't know if he ac actually has the uh, ability for executive power, but he, he definitely doesn't use it here. <laughs> he wants to bring them along. Uh, he wants them to say, hey, look, this is not about me, but this is ultimately about you. And he loves them. And you can see that because he prays for them. That being said, uh, he wants to use his, not only his apostolic authority, but he talks about visiting them in the future. And he, you know, he wants that to be a good visit. He wants to build them up. He says in verse 10, for this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. That's what he wants to do. He wants to build them up. He doesn't want to tear them down. Uh, too many people want to tear people. It's, it's so much easier to tear people down, to tear things down, to critique, to correct people, to say this is what's wrong with you. It's so much harder to be somebody that wants to build up and to encourage but that's exactly what Paul wants to do. And if there's any church, at least in the New Testament that we know of, that could have used some tearing down because of their dysfunction, it's this Corinthian church. And yet, he doesn't want to tear them down. He wants to build them up. He wants their restoration. Uh, finally, Paul ends the letter with a benediction. Uh, you hear me say it probably almost every week. This is where it comes from. Did you know that? The benediction, 2 Corinthians. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And you see, even in that final word of benediction, what is Paul emphasizing to this community? Grace, love, fellowship in the triune God. And how appropriate, right? See, God sees us in our weakness, and if, if we have this view of God that God just basically wants to correct us in order to tear us down and make us feel bad about ourselves. And uh, therefore, um, you know, maybe we've experienced other people trying to exploit our weaknesses and we, we kind of impress that upon God as if God would do the same thing. No. Uh, his desire is to build us up. His desire is to raise us up because he loves us. He looks down on us, downtrodden in our sin, weak people. And he says this, I am going to send my son down to you to die on a cross for you but I will raise him up and raise you up to new life with him. 
And it's through the grace of Jesus, the love of God, that we are now brought into fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And when he does that, that's when restoration happens. I think that's when spiritual vitality takes place. Uh, if I were going to give a critique on, uh, I don't know, not us specifically, but us in terms of our uh, demographic, maybe. Uh, I think like we're, we're, we're too self-dependent and we, we're too, if you're in New York, you're probably a very capable person. <laughs> or if you've been here for a long time, it's, it's not easy to, to be in New York for a long time. Um, you know, you're probably very good at what you do, right? You have s some personality traits that are strengths. Um, but you lean into that and make that your rock. Um, I think it's spiritual. I won't say death. Maybe that's too extreme. It's just not good spiritually. But when we don't lean into our strength, but we lean into our weakness and have a sense of, I, God, I need you. I can't do this. I'm struggling with this. I, I can't do this. I think when we get to that place and God's grace and his love and the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit touches us, I think we, we will experience spiritual vitality in our hearts. I wonder... Uh, you know, this is uh, the last letter we have Paul writing to the Corinthians. We don't know what happened on this third visit that he makes. Maybe they uh, didn't respond well to him, <laughs> but maybe they did. Maybe after this letter was read, people were like, wow, yeah. We have forgotten uh, the dynamics of the gospel. We have forgotten that Jesus was crucified in weakness. Yeah. We need to examine our hearts. We've aligned ourselves too much to the values of this world. And we've moved away from Jesus because of it. And maybe they reflected and processed. And maybe they experienced spiritual revival uh, in this congregation. Who knows? Um, but I do know, I do hope that we can experience that as well. So, you know, the sermon went a little bit longer than I intended. That's okay. Uh, I did want to give us, you know, just put ourselves in the, the shoes of the Corinthians. And after we have just heard this letter, how would they have processed it? Well, I want to ask us, how, how do we process it? And let's spend a little bit of time, um, you know, examining our hearts, examining our faith. And uh, Dave will play some music in the background. I, may, I don't know. Maybe after a few moments, uh, I'll close with I'll close in, in prayer. Okay, but let's examine our hearts.
uh, God, we, um, you know, we examine our hearts and, you know, some questions that come to my mind is, you know, what's important to you? And is what's important to you uh, on par with what's important, um, important to God? You know, sometimes it's, it's not. Sometimes the things that I value aren't the things that reflect the gospel. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, I just want to project a sense of having it all together, of being successful, uh, project strength. hide weakness. But God, you did not, um, you didn't come to save people who are self-sufficient and people who don't think they need you and people who think that they can bring about um, this wonderful gift of salvation uh, through our own efforts and our, our own achievements and our own accomplishments and our own work. You know, Jesus didn't come uh, to save the righteous, but he came for the sick, the weary, the broken. He came to save sinners. And, you know, we all fall in that category. But maybe our sin has blinded us where uh, we don't think we belong in that category. God, we, we belong in that category. All of us. Uh, even if others don't see our weakness, and even if we ourselves don't see our weakness, we know you see it. We know that you saw it. And you sought to do something about it. You demonstrated your power by turning our weakness into a strength that our weakness becomes the way in which your power is revealed, is manifested. And, you know, we want to get a taste and a glimpse of your power. We want to be strengthened and encouraged by that power so that our weakness and our sin and our struggles um, wouldn't uh, destroy us or consume us, but would turn into a great testimony of who you are. And I trust if we can do that, and I trust if you know, all believers across New York can do that and kind of be countercultural in that way, I do trust that there's great power. Not our power, not church power, not all these other forms of power, but your power, full of love, grace and mercy and favor to help us to be a people that leans into weakness that sees Christ crucified in weakness but also sees that Christ was raised in power in the resurrection and that same power you raise us up and restore us as well in Jesus name we pray Amen <laughs>